This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Today's going to be fire, Tom. It's going to be fire. So, you know, you got to say today's going to be hot. <laughs> I think Not either one is cheesy. <laughs> I know, but uh, today's going to be fire. doesn't even make it. You got to say like... No, fire's supposed to be like awesome, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm aging myself. Like you got to be like we're on fire or something like that. We don't See, no, I thought taste... it says... Uh, no, 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 no. I think it's like when you say, that's fire. Like, that's supposed Who's, to be cool. Who says that? My students say that, I no, think, no, or at least no, maybe no, 10 no. years ago. I don't remember. No, no, I mean, no one says that's going to, that's fire. They say that's hot. Or no, like, they don't. Like, Dude, this, we're like on fire. So this early is on fi- this, we're on fire or something. All right, don't all say, right. You know, I'm going to talk gonna, to some gonna, teenagers This is going to be fire. This is going right. to be ice, man. It's going to be ice. <laughs> all right, go, go, go. What are we doing today, Tom? All right, well, what we're talking about today is the great Chicago fire that spanned from October 8th through October 10th, 1871. And basically, just like we'll talk about the fire itself, um, why it happened, um, talk Potentially, about maybe, theories, maybe. The, yeah, well, the theories that caused it, but also why it happened. There's one reason, there's reason why it spread the way that it spread, obviously. Yep. And then um, a lot of how it changed um, the city of Chicago. Yeah, and, and overall, the, like building codes in the United building States. Building codes, you, yeah, changed a lot of stuff. You wouldn't have the Chicago Public Library, which is yep. like one of the main libraries in, in the country without without the great chicago fire yep so we'll, we'll definitely talk a little bit about that as well and it is known as the great chicago fire i think over the years teaching so many of my students usually pick this as a topic um for the research papers like it still draws people in you know if well, I it's, give it's, them a part list, of, it's a part of it we talked this before but it's a part of americana like it's people like look like when the chicago there's some like the hockey teams and stuff like that or not hockey teams but but soccer team aren't it called yeah. like the flames the, yep, yep, the yep. Fire. Chicago Fire. It's literally called Chicago like Fire. That. Yeah, and there's other yeah. there's other sport teams in that area that are all named after us because it's just that's just part of it. Like it's part of their history. By the way, we also mentioned the fact that this was not the largest fire in the United States at that very same time. No, and there were a lot yeah. of fires around the same time too, which goes to a theory on what really caused everything. Well, yeah, we'll yeah, get yeah. to we'll, we'll get all to right. those. But yeah, there was a bunch of fires going on at this time. Yep. So the fire started 8.30 p.m. on October 8th, right? Uh, we know mm-hmm. for a fact that it started at a small barn that belonged to the O'Leary family. And actually, you always now, hear about the O'Leary's cow, which we'll get to. Yes. So we're not yeah. sure exactly what happened at the O'Leary family farm. Well, you want to get to that now, or when do you want to talk about the, the I mean, potential causes? Well, let's just kind of get into like how it starts, spreads, and then kind of go back a little bit. Let right? me go back a little bit. Right, yeah, well, yeah. So it's, it, it starts. Like we, we, They know it starts in that air, basic area. Yeah, and right. apparently someone calls for the fire department, which actually yeah. is not the biggest fire department at all at the time. It's a, it's from a what, small fire department. That's one of the reasons why it spreads. They just don't have enough people. But they also don't they get there, but they go somewhere else first. They go somewhere else, exactly. Yeah, because the person – this wasn't – remember, this is 1871. They don't have the uh, – there's no 911. You can't just call, like, triangulate, get the position. You have, like, these lookouts, and the lookout actually told them the wrong place. That's what it was. I mean, it was still pretty high tech for the time. I mean, this is, like I said, 1871. They have 17 horse-drawn steam pumpers, right? So, yeah. again, not enough for the, you know, the, the Chicago city of Chicago by any means. But 17 steam pumpers is better than, you know, this isn't people walking around with pails of water, right? No. They have steam the pumpers. There's 185, yeah, 185 firefighters. It's just they are sent to the wrong side of town, right? Yeah. That's what happened. So when they finally get to um, 
the Coven Street, right? That's kind of like where yep. it starts. The fire was growing and spreading to neighborhoods. It was buildings and it was progressing towards the central business district. And like it kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what they were hoping for uh, right around the um, southern, southern branch of Chicago River is something called a fire break. There was, there was actually fires there previously. So mm-hmm. they were hoping that this fire break was basically where there's nothing left to burn. We kind of just stop it. Like stop it would it. get there and nothing there. But along the river, <laughs> there was um, lumber barges. yards. And barges yeah, lum- and stuff. Lum- lumber yards, warehouses, coal yards, and barges. Plus, they said the river was kind of like heavily polluted with kerosene, which we'll get to. So as the fire grew, it was in it was a drought going into this, which is another cause. Yeah. It just was able to basically the embers just went right over the river, jumped the river. It literally jumped the river. They were like, yeah. "All right, worst case scenario, it'll get to the river and it'll stop." And it it doesn't. And that's why that's why it kind of becomes the great Chicago fire because this exactly. thing just like worried about it. Yeah. Yeah, refuses to stop. And, you know, buildings are ultimately all made out of entirely of wood, which is a big issue at the time. And the reason for it is Chicago was built fairly quickly as an industrial city. It sprung up essentially really, they say overnight, obviously, that's not the right term, but but it sprung up really quickly to accommodate all the workers that are coming in for the growing industry in Chicago. So the quickest way to build around, you know, mid 1800s was to make everything entirely out of wood, which they did. So the buildings are out of wood, and they're actually topped with extremely flammable tar, right, on the roofs. Yeah, their the shingles are made everything. out of tar. So, yep. And even just the air being superheated basically did that. Did you notice this? It was said like city sidewalks and roads were also made of also wood. Also made of wood, yes. Yeah, so what does that mean? Made of, they, they were made of wood. Like I'll think of like Atlantic City, like the boardwalk. Yeah, like why would you do that? They, they weren't using – like, they said a lot of stuff for Chicago as they were trying to compete with New York. Like everything that like New York was doing, they were trying to do, but do it faster, like get to get to New York size, have the buildings of New York very fast. That's some of the criticisms that I was reading, talking about. And so, like you said, they were just building them very quickly. And it was just easier to just think quicker to lay down wooden sidewalks than it would be to, with the concrete. I guess pour concrete like or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always usually, I mean, I, I've, when I think of like wooden sidewalks or like wooden planks as a road, I think of like the Wild West, you know what I mean? Like the cities. Yeah in the middle of the road where you have mud and ultimately and stuff like that. But I found that interesting when I was doing this research. You know, the other issue at the time is that Chicago received only about one inch of rain, right? From July, basically all through Ju- from July to October to that, it's to a huge that drought. day. It's a huge drought. Right. Um, and they said that that also is that these winds and strong southwest winds actually help carry these embers towards the heart of the city. Yeah, it created something called a fire whirl, which is just basically like a spiral of fire where you have like the overheated air rises, comes in contact with all the cooler air, and it creates this like tornado effect. And yep. they're basically that's what was carrying this, um, was driving this debris high and far, and the debris was blown across the Chicago River. And one thing that it landed in also was a rail, uh, railway, railroad car that was carrying kerosene. Yep. It jumped over the river a second time. And now it was raging the city's north side. So it, it was just going nuts, this fire. Insane. I thought it was really interesting, though, like looking at the, these fire tornadoes, like these fire whirls. Like you said, this is, um, you know, well, that's obviously hot air coming in contact with cool air. But they said it was literally like hurricanes. Like you had yeah. this howling... Like, yeah, yeah, these howling fire tornadoes going through the city. I mean, I can't even imagine standing there and seeing a fire tornado, not just one, but like multiple ones just going through it. Just um, ripping around everywhere. And the firefighters are trying to stop it. They're, they're still battling this blaze. But what happens is a piece of um, timber lodged on the roof of the city's waterworks 
Yeah, that's that's what that's what did it in. That's actually did it in. So it, it made the waterworks building basically engulfed in flames, and with it, the main water mains, um, the pumps, went, all the pumps, dry, the, the pumps, yep. the pumps went dry because of that. And then the city was helpless; they had no way to put the fire out. The mayor, you know, the the mayor basically orders the city parts of it to be evacuated. He orders the prisons. They have prisoners in like in yeah, like, they let the them basement. out. They're like just let them, let them out. out. They just said go because yep. they're gonna be, otherwise they're gonna die. They're gonna, there's no way they're gonna be able to do it. And the fire burned unchecked from building to building, from block to block. As it was just constantly going, just re- just going across. To the, I did to the think next, that that part. it's cr- like what are the odds? Like the fact that it got to because of one piece of timber, right? Getting on that roof of the waterworks, it shuts down all the the pumps that pump the water to all of Chicago. So now you can't even extinguish no. anything. You know what I mean? Like it, it it was just a perfect storm. And then you have fire tornadoes, That's what it was. and this thing's just flying. It's it was kind of insane to be honest with you. Um, and if you guys see, there's pictures of the aftermath of this uh, from 1800s and uh, 1870s, and and you know this it looks like it's like World War II Europe, but it's yeah, it's just Chicago. bombed out. Yeah, it looks like it's bombed out, but it's yeah. just everything's just burned, just burned the, the cinder. And then finally, I think it's the late evening of October 9th, it started the rain. Yeah. And the fire by that point was starting to burn it out because literally there was nowhere else for it to go. Yeah. And it started to spread to the sparsely populated areas on the north side. And already, you know, consumed all the po- all the densely populated areas between that, and there just wasn't as much there, so it started to burn itself out. But um, when it all said and done, like it burned more than what two thousand acres. Yeah, so like let's look at the statistics, right? Seventy three miles. Yeah. Yep, it was seventy three miles, um, hundred twenty miles of sidewalk. You know, seventy three miles se- of roads, rather. Over seventeen thousand buildings. Yep. Over, at the time, over 220 million damages in property, right? Which would be about 4.7 billion today, to give you like an idea. And it was about a third of the city's value in 1871. Crazy. So it got it got wiped out. But then you know, this is also this is what gets me. Like in time of crisis like this, I mean, it always happens. Looting. I mean, well, there was a, the... there was a looting and the price gouging. So basically, yeah, the mayor, right, Waswell B. Mason calls. Well, the um. The government sends in. Remember, this is before they had like. They, I guess they had national guard. Well, no, they didn't really have national guard. No, no, and they send the actual union soldiers here. They I mean, send, they, they, send, they send the soldiers. Well, this is right after the Civil War. They didn't yeah. have the federal government. wasn't what it is today. So put it that way. Yeah. A lot of states started sending help in. Oh, we'll help you out. We'll get. To and then we'll get into some of the help that was sent. Yeah, but the issue here well, is like, really, said, yeah, it's a Sheridan, right? Yep, yeah, Sheridan. General, he comes in and just puts the end to the city. He we mentioned that basically the city's under Mar- control of the army. Law. Yeah, martial, yeah, martial law. law. That's it. Um, and he had to. I mean, it was basically troops, militia, police, right? Or civilian groups. I mean, the idea here was that there was so much violence and looting in a city. People are like, oh, all right, well, let's just hop in here and see what we got. And like, what can we take? People lost everything. I mean, there's 1,700, I'm sorry, 17,500 buildings were burnt. Like, this is insane. Yeah, one in three residents were left homeless. Yep. There was nothing else for them to do. Martial law, basically the military is making sure this thing gets, I mean, they're for two weeks straight, right? They patrolled the streets, guarded any form of warehouses, uh, regulations. And because even though the fire stopped, it still took like two weeks for everything to kind of settle cool down. down. Yeah, things cool were still hot. They were cool still down. hot amber. And it was just, and they also, like, they also were there to uh, prevent price gouging with the, when the supplies did start to come in again. Think of, this is a major city, huge city. Third of it is just burnt to burnt down. 
Yeah, 90,000 Chicago residents were left yeah. homeless. One third of every single, I mean, yeah, of all a lot the of them too. And even the ones that weren't that were less homeless, but they survived because it, the death toll, they found 120 bodies. They think it's probably as high as what, 300? I saw that yep, was the biggest that's estimate. What I was these are sure some people probably drowned in the river, jumping to escape the flames. And a lot of people just burnt up, unfortunately. They were just incinerated basically by the fire, like we talked about. Um, not to say Helen erupting in a previous podcast, right? Like, yeah. a plug there. Nah. And it's talking about how, you know, the certain people just got like totally incinerated. But a lot of these people too, even they survived, everything they owned was destroyed. So all of their like paperwork, all their papers and stuff like that were also just, you know, gone. gone. So there's no way that there's, there's no computer backup like there might be now. So there's no way to like for them really to yeah. get on with their lives a lot of times. They had to find other copies or yeah. find some other way to prove they are who they say they are. And as all the relief is being sent from across the nation, even from the government and from local places, which we're, well, I think we'll get into right now, but uh, this price gouging you're talking about, you know, it's like bread is sent in, but then someone controls all the bread and it's like, oh, it's worth 20 cents, but give me a dollar for it. It's like these people are starving. It, it was, it's insane what people do. I mean, if you look at it, the price of bread, a city set a price of bread, right? At one point at eight cents for 12 ounces, right? Of loaf of bread. So eight cents. Because people are starting to charge like 50 cents, which is insane when it's supposed to be, you know, eight cents. And these are, you're charging this to people that have, they're homeless. They have nothing. There's nothing left. Yeah. And they're doing that. So. Crazy. Not exactly sure. Nice. Well, let's get get to the nice stuff because we're focusing on how, you know, some people are taking advantage of the situation. On a whole, people were actually um, doing a lot of donations. So in the weeks, you know, and stuff following the fire. There was a lot of money being donated along with food, clothing, and other goods. So you had stuff coming in from New York. Gave $450,000. So, yeah, yeah, New York City alone gave $450,000. Which is, which is a lot of money back in 1871. Yeah. Yep. St. Louis is given a lot of money. Um, St. Louis was second, 300000 yeah. right? The Common Council of London is giving a bunch. They also set up a whole uh, thing that helps supply the library, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, a small town. Uh, Greenock in Scotland, a population of only 40,000. They raised a bunch of money on the spot and sent it in. Um, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Buffalo, which were commercial rivals at the time, they mm-hmm. all sent thousands of dollars along with a lot of them were also sending in firefighting equipment. Like, yeah, from all. So yeah, basically, yeah. food, clothing was being was being brought in by train from all over North America and beyond to try to help the relief because just, you know it spread and it was like a they realized that listen, this city. This could have happened in our city too. That's what they're thinking. And it just wiped it out. Yep. A lot of public buildings were open as like refuge, but also different bars or saloons uh, would wind up closing early at night. So, and basically give shelter overnight to people of Chicago so they could have, have somewhere to sleep, which is very interesting. And then this is where you get into that English book donation. This is kind of interesting, yeah. right? Burgess, I yeah. think. Uh, Age yeah, Burgess. Burgess of London. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so in London, Age Burgess proposes this English book donation. Uh, and the idea at the time is kind of, it's a novel idea because Chicago had a library before this, right? But the library was a private institution. So you actually have membership fees to be part of the library. And therefore, even when you wanted to borrow a book, you had to pay for it. So this was like very much like for those that had money. Um, yeah. And what happens here is because their library burned down, H. Burgess of London proposes this book donation and basically starts collecting books in England that become um, that get sent over to Chicago, about 8000 volumes worth of books. 
Now, while this donation is coming in and is announced, the city council passes an ordinance in 1872 to establish the first ever free Chicago Public Library. Um, and the very first books in the library come from England from this donations after the fire, which is a cool because today, like, I can't imagine having to pay a membership fee to go. Well, that's to the part library. of the thing we think of like libraries and it's supposed to be free. Like it's kind of like something everybody knows. Where is the town library, right? Maybe not as big as it used to be, as far as like yeah, well, the yeah. internet and stuff like that. But you know, I know you go to the library all the time. All the time, man. Well, you don't go to the library. You go to libraries. Um, well, they, my kids do stuff there. They have like the, yeah. the STEM camp and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah it, it's nice. It's a nice library, but. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts. I'm not going out there checking out books necessarily. You know what? Dude, honestly, why don't we do a podcast on libraries? Yeah. (laughs) You're such a jerk. Dude, that'd be an awesome (laughs) podcast. No, because, like, I would be curious to learn about libraries. And, I mean, it's sad that what's happened to them. Like Ghost in Library, like from Ghostbusters, the library. (laughs) No, but it's kind of sad what's happened to our libraries. And you can see this, too, probably. Like, in school, whenever I bring my students to the library, and I'm like, all right, guys, we're going to do research now, and... The, the librarian will explain to them how we do everything, what to do, what it, where to look for books. And, and then you tell them, all right, guys, go. And everyone just goes to the computer. Like, no one goes into the book aisles. It's like, what? Well, they do like the online databases and stuff yeah. like that. Like, Dewey Decimal is probably not losing much, but we're getting off topic. Let's oh, yeah, off topic. Off topic. Sorry, get back library. to the fire. Let's get back get to the excited. fire. Uh, libraries? <laughs> yeah, dude. That's how we're all. What um? Let's talk a little bit about so some of the changes, right? That kind of yeah, well, there was a lot of people that were really upset what was going on, and um, a lot of other people are saying this is kind of like a issue that goes because of Chicago. They were obsessed with bigger things, trying to outbuild New York. But a lot of other people that said, "Look, this is what's going to happen if we keep on industrializing, right?" And I'm sure mm-hmm. you saw that. That like you know, this is like not so much God's wrath, but if they continue to industrialize, you're going to see more and more of this. A lot of business owners say, no, that's not really the case. We just have to improve on on the construction. So there was a lot of building codes, like you said before, that were put into place. And you had a lot of... Well, they sort of switch into brick walls, right? Using and bricks and stuff like that. And they're better firefighting techniques, but they're not going to use that the tar and the things yep. that are going to be as flammable. So that if a fire does start, it can be more easily um, contained, more or less. Do you see the idea of like what it actually did, like gentrification and stuff because of these building codes? Um, so eventually Chicago becomes the world leader in skyscrapers, right? We know this, right? Yeah. Um, and that's basically within a decade, not right away, but within a decade, once they're rebuilding um, Chicago, at first they start more or less with the same size buildings. They just kind of turned them into more masonry versus wood. But this is all spurs on this idea of building these skyscrapers, these bigger, better, and really concrete structures. But the issue is that because of these new building codes were designed specifically in the area that burned down, you could not rebuild your house unless you used, you know, masonry materials. And because cost prohibitive, I mean, at the time specifically, like wood was cheaper. So a lot of working class- why they used wood so much, yeah. Yeah, a lot of working class Chicago people 
could no longer afford to rebuild their homes that were destroyed and burned down in those same areas because of these new building codes. So it actually forced a lot of middle class people out of the downtown area of Chicago and kind of, you know, brought in wealthier members at the time because they just couldn't afford the building materials. And it shows, Bob, too, I'm sure we can talk about some of like the buildings that survived, but probably one of the most famous is the Chicago Water Tower, right? Mm -hmm. It was one of the few buildings that survived because it was built from limestone. That was one of the reasons why why it survived. And um, now it's just, it's basically used as a uh, part of like a shopping mall, right? So part of that whole area. So fairly quickly, business owners, land speculators, you name it. I mean, it was just like, let's rebuild this city as quickly as we can. Wasn't there like a hotel that was just finished um, right before like the fire? Yeah, and the, the guy got burned down like six months or something. not not yeah. not it was days, wasn't it days? He just days called. later, yeah, I think it was yeah, it was days later. Then he did rebuild it, and he called it the nation's first fireproof building. Yeah, which I don't think anything is necessarily fireproof, fire resistant. Yeah, I saw a Palmer House hotel burned to Palmer the ground House, in a fire thirteen days after its grand opening. That's yeah. kind of that's terrible. Uh, but I mean, they rebuilt bigger, better. I mean, the World's Columbian Exposition was hosted by Chicago just twenty two years later, and it, it I mean. It, 21 million visitors came to Chicago. It was completely rebuilt. Yeah, so yeah, it totally. One of the most modern cities. They call it, often say that it was like a, uh, what's that, the Phoenix, like if Chicago yeah, yeah, like Phoenix rise, like rose Phoenix. from ashes. Yeah, because it was able to come back bigger and better than before. But without, but you know, had so much devastation that they had to, they had to modernize basically before they could modernize. Like, you know, this is in the 1870s, but they had to modernize, come up with better building techniques, which then were used in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Yep. As, as they expanded also. And also, they were the first ones to really standardize um, fire departments. They're, like huge. That's why they're kind of Chicago Fire. Isn't their TV show now too, right? It's like you were saying. Yeah. like the, They're kind of known for that. Like fire, Chicago firemen um, were considered some of the most elite fighting firemen forces uh, following this this particular event. You want to get into like wh- why it started? You know, what's, what's the, a cow have to do with it? Well, yeah. So the, one of the first rumors is um, uh, O'Leary's cow, right? And there's yep. a lot of reasons for this. Catherine and O'Leary, O'Leary was milking yeah. her and cow. It, it was milking her cow. The cow kicks over. And I remember learning this in school, right? The cow kicks over the lantern. The lantern catches fire. And there's really not any real credence to that, any real um, proof that that's what happened, right? No, a it came out in the Chicago stem- Tribune the next day like, yeah. that that's what A lot happened. of it was because O'Leary, who was a real person, and she's like the perfect sca- uh, scapegoat. She was poor. Yep. She was Irish. She was Catholic. Yeah. And you have a lot of Irish set- um, anti-Irish settlement back then in the United States, right? A lot of anti-Catholic settlement in the United States, particularly in Chicago. So it was very easy just to blame it um, on her. And actually, the, I think one of the writers who talked about it in 1893, he actually came out and retracted the story. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that was a joke. I he admitted it. it was fabricated, um, but it did nothing to put the legend down. And people just kept on saying, no, 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 do that. And finally, I think they in 1997, the Chicago City Council finally just came out and exonerated the O'Leary's and the cow and said it was not their fault. Yeah. They had nothing to do with this fire, more than, more than likely. Um, some of the other cases or other theories are that um, – they were there was um, someone was trying to steal milk from the O'Leary's farm. I'm yep. sure you saw that, and that that person um, tripped. They knocked over the something. Yeah, knocked over that. a lantern. Another is that O'Leary's son was gambling. Which there's actually a lot, if you look into this, if that, you that look at the O'Leary's, a bit of a proof. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like the O'Leary's, their son was a huge gambler. And actually, when yeah. you're still looking at like an organized crime in Chicago and the rise of Al Capone and all that stuff years later, the O'Leary's name pops up a lot. Like, yeah, there's like a doing, lot there. But they were part of someone they're doing like a craps game, right? Yep. And that, um, Lewis M. Cohen may have started the fire during a craps game because they came in, there was like a fight, and then that knocked over it. And he actually, in his death, um, donated $35,000 to uh, the School of Journalism in Northwestern University. And a lot of him were saying that was his kind of guilt for his feeling yeah, of yeah. guilt from starting the fire. Again, there's, there's no way to really yeah, prove well, that. O'Leary did say that there were gamblers in her barn, but she chased them um, away around 9, 8, 9 p.m. And then according to what they know, the fire was already started by then. Yep. I also yeah, saw that like, when she was chasing yeah. them away, apparently that's when they knocked down this lantern and they yeah. were trying to like not talk about the fact that there was gambling in on the premises. Exactly. That's, um, that's what they were worried about. Yeah. So, well, we don't, well, so well, what are an, some, what are some other options here? There's another theory um, that it was actually the, caused by a meteor shower. I'm sure you saw this one, right? I saw that. I saw this one. Yeah. Now this one's kind of like, all right, it's called by a, by a comet because there were other fires in that area all at the same time. Yep. And there were reportedly people saying that they saw flames falling from the sky or that they saw um, – they could actually hear, like, the impacts of it and how there wasn't anything and that suddenly there was fire. But the whole, but this has kind of been debunked a little bit because they're saying that the – Which um, is even science. I mean – The comet broke apart already yep. in 1845, so it could have been that comet, maybe a different meteorite. Who knows? But they're saying it could be, like, um, pockets of methane that basically – came in and that, and that erupted and that caused, because the conditions were so dry that that caused yeah. the fire. Well, also so. meteorites are not really known to spread fires scientifically and yeah. apparently are really cool to the touch after they reach the ground. So they think that that theory in itself, just looking at science. Yeah, but they, they, that could have been an airburst explosion, something yeah. that like the um, Tunguska event that happened with that, yeah. like Siberia. Yep, yep, right? yep. So they think it could have been something like that, if anything. But again, it's, there's no way to really prove that because that just kind of like happens. Then there's other ones that just say, listen, it was just like um, combustion. The, the ground was, it was, the air was so dry, the, the everything was so dry that things got hot enough and it just burst into flames. By the way, did you look into this kind of, this is one of those, like it just it took me like completely different direction here. Um, did you see Singapore, Michigan? What happened to the ghost town of, of Singapore, Michigan? I was having the same thing. Yeah, they were at that, right that, right around that same time. That's yeah, but of- this is... This is insane. So Singapore is now a ghost town in Michigan, right? But what essentially happened is after the fires that swept through Chicago and Peshtigo, which is the bigger one, in late mm-hmm. 1871, the, the area around Singapore was super forested. And so they actually deforested that entire Chicago, area yeah. Yeah, to supply the lumber for rebuilding all of these fires and stuff. Now, without the protective tree cover, apparently the winds were so high that it brought all the sands off Lake Michigan and just eroded the town into ruins. So within four years after 1871, because of rebuilding Chicago, it actually destroyed and killed this entire town, like buried it in sand dunes by 1875. It almost looks um, like those Dust Bowl pictures, right? Yeah, it's I think it's I mean, to like the second floor windows like completely yeah and I feel like that's something that probably doesn't get really talked about because it was basically yeah you rebuilt chicago but you destroyed Singapore this other Michigan small city to, yeah to, to town do it. really yeah i mean because the town only had like 23 buildings and like sawmills you know what i mean but still like like literally destroyed an entire well, it, town it shows humans impact on 
on you know the environment. It's also talking about the, the whole another negative aspect of industrialization that people argue that this was that the Chicago fire was caused by industrialization. You know, you had all these buildings not up to a very you know not built not built built very smart, right? You had the river that was super polluted. You had all this kerosene and tar and lumber all just like waiting there, sitting right by the. Uh, riverbank so when the fire did get there and it should have had that fire break it could just keep on going because all the other stuff was there you know nuts well and that's kind of what it you know what comes down to like they also say that maybe it is something to do with the weather because on that day which was extremely hot and dry right three other major fires occurred along the shores of lake michigan um and they happened literally like at the same time as the great chicago fire yeah the The, big difference was it wasn't as populated of areas so a lot of times it just kind of yeah, the Peshtigo. Am I saying it right? Peshtigo? She goes Wisconsin, yeah. Yeah, Peshtigo, Wisconsin. That was the one that they said was like in, you know, it was like. It killed the, more people, yeah. Yeah, a dozen villages. They said killed close to even 2,500 people, uh, destroyed about 1.5 million acres. And they said it is the deadliest, to this day, the deadliest fire in American history is Peshtigo fire. Um, of Wisconsin. And it happened at the same time as Chicago fire. So it's interesting because the Chicago fire gets. Their recognition, it's like the Chicago fire. But as you mentioned before, the reason for it is because it was so remote of a region, right? Even though so many people died and so much was destroyed, you know, all these villages, it wasn't Chicago. And that's why it, it didn't get that same notice, I guess. Notoriety. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going yeah, I think the Great Chicago Fire, I'm look, I was looking at the list, the largest fire, the largest, deadliest slash largest um, fire, uh, lost fires. Uh, the Great Chicago Fire is actually number three on the list. Huh. What's the other two? Do you know? Well, obviously, Pashigo's one. I'm curious what the second no, one is. No, well, it, 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 is actually not number one according to the list that I found because this really? is looking at – this is deadliest, so um, lives lost, but also um, loss in dollars. So oh. number two is the fire from the um, earthquake and fire from San Francisco. Okay. In um, 1906. So maybe this, actually, this is what I saw. Maybe it was just deadliest, meaning like people – well, this one also has a deadliest for most deaths because of what they're contributing to this fire. But number um, the deadliest fire in the United States history, uh, as far as loss, is um, the World Trade Center, nine eleven. Uh, anyway, really, nine eleven. I, I mean, yeah. Well, I if you think about it, the fire burned for hundred days. Yeah. And it said it cost um, three thirty-three point four billion. Crazy. There's eventually a movie made, by the way, about the O'Leary family in 1938 that won like a, a Academy Award um, that sent it on the fire. And it was obviously fictionalized, but it was about the O'Leary family. All right. So, I mean, you, what else you got about the fire? I mean, I think this is pretty. Yeah, I think we're pretty handled it. Like it, it was just one of those events that everyone talks about. Or people are aware of. I wouldn't say everyone talks about, but they everyone say, oh, yeah, it has to do with uh, the cow. But it, they, most historians are like, no. It has nothing to do with the cow. So yeah, and even the person who wrote the cow story is like, I made that up, and yet people are still, you know, um, oh, but uh, yeah, still, yeah, I'm talking about it. But you know, it's over 150 years later. You can't doubt the significance of the fire, especially if you live in Chicago. Um, it's remembered as the second of the four stars on the Chicago flag. Mm-hmm. If you ever see the Chicago flag, the second of the four stars is supposed to be in remembrance of. 1871 when the chicago fire changed chicago city of chicago forever i didn't it was know based that. chicago before the fire and then the chicago after the fire well that yeah that yeah i don't have anything else but chicago fire i think it's pretty intense said at least oh yeah well it's a fire well 
thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once more to our podcast. I hope we uh, learned a little bit. Right, right. I mean, you know, I did researching this. So, um, oh, so yeah. thanks again, right? And if you guys need to find us, you can find us online. You can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Um, if you do listen to us and you like what you hear, please click the subscribe button. It does help. And besides that, the word out there. it gets yeah. the word out there. That's really what it's about. So, um, you know, thanks for tuning in every week and we really greatly appreciate it. And shoot us an email if you have any ideas. We're, we're always well, you know, welcoming of new ideas. So enjoy, everyone. Have a nice week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.